We've got a bonus podcast this week. We're calling it the Where Your Dreams Become Reality segment. Email us at pod at letsrun.com if you want these to keep coming in the main podcast feed. And if you want to take your training to the next level, Pure is the first database nutrition company crafting on-demand pre- and post-run shakes. This is pretty cool. Pure, P-W-U-R-E.com. They use data from your fitness tracker and online questionnaire to determine which amounts and ratios of carbohydrates, protein, and other nutrients to put in your pre- and post-workout recovery shake with the most up-to-date scientific literature. They developed and tested their formulas last year with 20 pro runners. They will announce new athletes soon. 82% of their users have seen performance improvement after one month. Their formulas are sustainable and crafted on demand in Brooklyn, New York. They can even be made vegan. And listeners of this podcast can save 20% off the first month by using code NEXTLEVEL. That's NEXTLEVEL at checkout. Go to pwure.com. Link also in the show notes. All right. Here's our talk with breakout performer Robert Brandt. It was recorded last month. All right. We're going to try a new segment, everyone, where your dreams become reality. We talked to a runner who had a huge breakthrough. Our first guest is Robert Brandt. Robert was a high school star at Loyola in L.A. where he ran 408 and 852. Then he went to Cal Berkeley for two years and ran 1345 for 5K. But that wasn't enough. He transferred to UCLA, where he was a three-time All-American, with his highest finish being seventh at the 2019 NCAA 10K, where Brandt took the lead with 800 to go before getting his doors blown off the final 400 meters. Despite not having a breakout performance, Brandt was starting to gather fans on Letron.com as the thread was started him prior to NCAAs asking, is Robert Brandt the greatest eighth-place runner of all time? After COVID-19 canceled the senior track season, Brandt decided to do a six-year at Georgetown University. He really turned heads back in June, however, before stepping foot at Georgetown, when he posted on Strava a workout and then said, I don't know what it is, but I want to crush the Tinman guys like a ball of Tinman foil. Maybe it's their overt confidence and then proceeding to finish in the bottom third of every elite field they enter. See you guys in the spring. That got Brandt some publicity on Letron.com and Ever since then, his running's been at a new level. First, he lowered his 10 KPR to 28.22 in August, and then earlier this month, at the appropriately named track meet in California, he had the breakthrough of breakthrough performances where he ran 27.39 for 10,000 meters to shatter the Georgetown record, become, I think, the 14th fastest runner ever at NCAAs, and beat all the Tim and guys in the process. And also, he finished eighth place appropriately. So, Robert, congrats on the race and welcome to the podcast. Thank you. Thanks for having me on. And I hope I can become better known for my performances and not my let's run thread started on me. But uh, yeah, thanks for having me on. Well, we, we can't start with the Timman thing, but I think the sport needs a little banter, a little talk, and we'll get there eventually. But yeah, I was looking at the results from the track meet and I'm like, Robert Brandt, and people in that room might be shocked. I'm like, wait, who is this guy? And I'm like, wait, is that the guy? <laughs> but now you're going for running 2739 because I'm a 10K r- runner myself at heart. And if you run that fast, there's no hiding. You've got a sh- really good shot to try to make the Olympics now. I mean, I assume this has changed your outlook on running. Is that the case? Yeah, no, it, it definitely has. 
when I graduated from UCLA, I was almost going to move on from the sport. Um, I, I really hadn't considered running professionally, but you know, when the opportunity arise to go to graduate school and, and keep it going, I thought I'd just continue my collegiate career and maybe get a couple more All-American finishes, maybe another eighth. But yeah, I mean, that race definitely opened my eyes to kind of my career beyond the NCAA scene and definitely opened some doors. So excited to see where it goes and to run a time like that, you know, makes all the all the work over the years worth it. I guess let's sort of, we'll go through your whole running career later, but let's start with, you decide, you know, COVID upends the world, upends your senior season. How soon did you decide to go to Georgetown? And then also, uh, it looks like you've been training in altitude in Flagstaff for the first time. How did that whole kind of take us through maybe from spring until now? Over the winter, um, my senior or my fifth year at UCLA, I, um, you know, that year, that spring was kind of like I'm going all in on running. Um, I graduated uh, in the winter and my spring quarter at UCLA, I didn't have to take any classes. So I was just going to solely focus on running. But at the same time, I was super injured and um, had two stress fractures back to back. And then once they canceled the season, so that's why I actually didn't run indoor that season. And then, you know, once COVID happened, they canceled the season. Um, you know, my, my plan from there on out was really to finish out my time at UCLA um, and then, you know, move on to working a full-time job and, you know, moving on from competitive running. But, you know, at that point, I, I didn't have a job lined up and I just went home to uh, my parents' house in Pasadena, not too far from UCLA, and was kind of sitting at home. And obviously, there's very limited job prospects, um, you know, while COVID was was kind of happening and uh, my options to run professionally were very limited at that point. And I figured, you know, maybe now's a good time to consider some graduate school options and um, UCLA at that point didn't really, I mean, I think the only program that they had that was still open um, for applications was a school of education. And that wasn't really something I was interested in. So started emailing coaches all over the country and always had my eye on Georgetown. I went to Loyola High School in downtown Los Angeles, which was a Jesuit Catholic school. And a lot of kids from Loyola went to Georgetown and have a few friends who went there. Um, I've always and obviously, I, they have a very historic and, and good track team. So emailed Coach Bonzi, and they had the exact graduate program I was looking into, which was commercial real estate development. And I said, if I get into the program, I'm, I'm, I'm going to Georgetown. So got in, and you know, obviously, it's worked out great. Uh, coach Bonzi's been an amazing coach for me, and I think having, having the remote classes and being able to get an altitude stint up in Flagstaff before the race also helped. Um, but yeah, I've absolutely loved everything about the guys and the program, even though I haven't even stepped up, stepped on campus yet. But um, yeah, so crazy last six months, but, you know, happy to happy to be in this place. You could be the first runner to uh, get a school record and go pro and never step foot on the campus. But <laughs> I know it's it's crazy. I assume you're going to finish out the year at Georgetown, right? Yeah, so I'm gonna I'm gonna finish out um, my last track season at Georgetown, um, and then from there, you know, it's just trying to figure out the next step. Um, but I think uh, running 27:39 definitely kind of solidified, uh, you know, going pro for me. So I was always kind of on the ropes about it, um, but big performance like that definitely, um, you know, makes that decision pretty easy. 
Yeah, like when you run that fast, the agents reach out to you already or just you know that that's fast enough that you're not going to have a problem signing with some team or an agent? Uh, yeah, no, right after the race, I had um, some agents reach out to me and, you know, this whole process is is pretty new to me. So um, just kind of starting the conversation now and then hopefully, you know, right after NCs, I can I can sign a deal and then and then run at the trials uh, soon after. So um, it's crazy. I didn't really think I'd be in this position not too long ago. It's kind of a, you know, 13, 30, 28, 20 guy. Um, but, you know, it's all it's all very exciting. I love to complain about COVID, but there's been a lot of silver linings with COVID. I think just in life, we can adapt to obstacles. But without COVID, one, there's no sixth year. But it sounds like you were injured. You had a stress fracture. Like you probably have been behind the eight ball getting ready for outdoors, right? You may not have been, you may not have run that fast outdoors. Yeah, no, I actually was just talking to my parents about that. I'm like, you know, this is always, this is kind of a blessing in disguise. I, you know, I look back on kind of that. Um, you know, the time during the winter last, last winter when I was super injured and, um, you know, on the bike every day for like two, three hours a day. And I think I just got back to running in March and that was right before the season got canceled. And it, you know, I was just rushing to get in shape, like right into mileage, right into workouts, um, and just having awful workouts and every run felt horrible. So to, you know, to try to get in low 28 shape. Um, you know, by NCs or regionals would have been really, really tough. So, yeah, I mean, I obviously it's a horrible circumstance with COVID, but at the same time, it's it's given me a lot of time to kind of refocus. And it's really, you know, I don't think I'd be running right now if all this hadn't happened. So, yeah, sounds like a blessing in disguise. All right, so let's let's we'll talk about my second favorite subject, Flagstaff, in a minute. Let's jump ahead to the race. You go to this race. I think the goal was to run right around, you know, 28 minutes. You'd run 28, 20 earlier this year. That's the goal. The gun goes off. And from what I understand, there was no 28 minute group or tell me what happened. Uh, well, I was told, yeah, there would be a, a 27, 30 pace group and then, uh, and then a 28 flat pace group. So, um, going into that race, I, I called up coach Bonzi, um, at Georgetown and, you know, he was like, you know, I think on a, you know, you can run low 28s, 28 O's, um, and give your shot. I, you know, have potential to make the trials, you know, not auto. Um, and then if you have a really good day, you can, you can go under 28. Um, so the plan was just to stick with that 28 minute group. Um, and I think prior to the race, I was told that Casey Klinger was going to, was going to pace it. Um, I don't even know if I saw him in the race or if he even paced it. Um, but you know, I go through like first 800 and I'm kind of waiting for that group to kind of break off or the two groups to separate. And it was kind of just one big line. And I, I saw the front guys, you know, Klecker and Chez and Jenkins and Tiernan, um, you know, about 10, 15 meters ahead of me. Um, and I came through the mile and was just off that pack. And I'm like, well, I guess there's really no going back now. Um, I got to commit to this. Um, but still, I, I, I feel like I didn't fully commit to that pace just because it was it was so new to me and such like uncharted territory. I mean, I was basically coming through 5K um, at my 5K PR from like a year before. Um, so my re one regret from the race is just not committing to that pace earlier because um, I felt so good at the end finishing. So um, 
but yeah, I mean, obviously I, I can't be mad at myself for that, but cause you know, it was a, it was a great result. Um, but now I know going into, um, the spring and the trials, I, I know I can compete with those guys and I know I can fully commit, um, to that pace. And it's pretty unlike me cause I'm a pretty aggressive racer, but, um, 27, 30 is just such a, you know, crazy time. And seeing that on paper going into the race was like, I don't know if I can run with those guys, but obviously, uh, you know, now I, now I know I can. Yeah. Was there a point in the race when you realized, OMG, like, I'm really going to do this. I'm going sub 28. I mean, you had 20 seconds to spare at the end. So if you did the math with like two miles to go, you probably had it, but. Yeah. I mean, I, I came through 5k, I think right around 1350. And that was kind of like, Oh my God, like this is, I'm way in over my, over my skis right now. I don't, I don't know if I can hang on. Cause there's always that, mo- you know, you always feel good the first 5k of a, of a 10k. And then there's always that wait, moment. Wait, like wait a second. What? Repeat that. Well, when you're having a good race, that is, but I, <laughs> But, you know, you should feel decent at 5K. And then usually uh, the curtain comes down, you know, like two miles out. And then, you know, it's just the pain train from there on up from there on. So I was kind of like waiting for that moment um, for that to happen. I'm like, you know, I came through at 1350. This should be like the hardest race of my life. Um, But it just it continued to feel good. And then, you know, I hit like a mile to go and I started doing the math and I'm like, I'm I'm closer to the Olympic standard than I am the hard mark on the, on the trial standard. Um, so that's when it kind of really hit me. And then I just kept picking guys off. Um, and I mean, it's pretty crazy to me, but that was like the best feeling race I've ever run. Um, and the 28, 22 from the summer was like absolutely to the well. Um, so it's kind of like looking back, it's, I can't even believe it, but I guess, you know, that's the benefit of altitude. It just makes you a lot stronger and, able to kind of weather the the tough parts of the race, especially later in the race. So I'm impressed you could do math during the race. What was your major at UCLA? I was a political science. So not, there wasn't much math involved, but you know, when you're running that fast, you're like trying to, trying to do every single calculation you can. And do you know a guy named Matt Cypher at Georgetown? Uh, I do not. He's a friend of let's run. I think he's in, he's in charge of one of, I think he's in charge of like the steer school. It's something with real estate at Georgetown. I, I don't know if I should publicly identify someone as a friend of Let's Run. You know, he, he, might, <laughs> he might be a secret friend of Let's Run, but he's a big runner. If you ever step foot on campus, you definitely need to meet him and go on a run with him. Yeah, yeah. But but at the, this stage, it might be best for you if classes stay online all spring and you can train train Flagstaff. I know. How long were you in Flagstaff? Was this your first serious altitude stint? How, how did that go? I was in Flagstaff for, I think, almost three months. Um, and at UCLA, we, we had gone up to altitude um, usually like three weeks, maybe close to four sometimes because um, we were on quarter system there. So we kind of had all, all September to get up to altitude. Um, but, you know, it wasn't quite long enough to fully get the benefits. Um, so, yeah, this, this fall was really the first time I had done a serious altitude stint. Uh, and, you know, it was absolutely amazing. I mean, Flagstaff, I mean, I'd been to Mammoth Lakes in California, which is an amazing place to train, but Flagstaff, just the, the diversity of the trails. Um, I mean, it's just like right off Lake Mary, you can run, you know, 20 miles, any direction of uninterrupted dirt roads at 7,000 feet. So, um, coming from Los Angeles where I'm, you know, running on the streets, running down sunset Boulevard and dodging traffic. Um, it was really different environment. And I think, 
really took my training to a, a whole new level. And, you know, not only the altitude, just the consistency of the training, like, um, you know, not stopping at stoplights and, and getting nice, consistent long runs, long runs in every day was, or every Sunday was, you know, just something totally new to me. And obviously, you know, saw the benefits of that. Were you training by yourself? Were you at a group? Were you getting your workouts from like Georgetown? Like, Yeah. Coach Bonzi was, was giving me training every week and that was great. You know, gave me a lot of, a lot of structure. And then, yeah, had pretty much the whole team up there. I think we had over 20 guys. Um, so yeah, almost everyone on the, on the cross country team. Um, I trained a lot with Jack Van Scotter, who was also from Pasadena, California. Um, and I kind of known him throughout high school and then, you know, now we're teammates at Georgetown. So I did a lot of mileage with him. Um, and actually a lot of the younger guys too. Um, some of the sophomores were kind of getting up to that 90, hundred mile week range. Um, so yeah, I had, had a really good group of guys to run with. Um, and yeah, I can't thank them enough for, you know, getting me through that fall. Cause I'm not the guy, I'm not a guy who loves running alone. So having that group was, was awesome. Um, it definitely helped. Well, I didn't realize the whole team was out there. I mean, if 20 guys from one school, that's pretty crazy. Yeah. We had a lot of guys kind of sleeping on the couch and, you know, trying to find space and a lot of air mattresses, but uh, yeah, we crammed into an Airbnb and got everyone up there. So it was, it was fun. Definitely worthwhile. Yeah. I'm impressed. Yeah. Uh, I was in Flagstaff in 2000. I think there was three Americans training in, <laughs> in Flagstaff. <laughs> the internet was new. You're too young to know this. The internet was new, but so, soon people found out at one point we soon had like <laughs> five guys in a one bedroom apartment. And then we had a four bedroom apartment and I guess the rest is history. It's just amazing to hear. Yeah. No, I mean, I'd go out for runs and see all the Nazali guys and, you know, tons of pros up there and the whole Under Armour group. So it was, it was a cool environment to be in. So do they say Nazali or NAZ elite? I'm not sure. I've always called it Nazali. But okay, interesting. I, I always say NAZ. Yeah, maybe I'm saying it wrong. I don't know. <laughs> and the only other place I've been for altitude is I've been to Big Bear before. Uh-huh. And Flagstaff blows it away to me. Like Big Bear was very hilly. Yeah, it's very hilly. Flagstaff is just the diversity, like you said, it's un- unbelievable. Exactly. So did you do any like faster workouts at lower altitude or was everything up in flag? Most stuff was up in flag. I I went down to Sedona a few times, which was at like 5,000 feet, especially kind of towards the end of my buildup um, when I had some bigger workouts before, before that 10K. Um, but yeah, I mean, most of the stuff was all all up in flag because we we had to be pretty efficient with time. All of us were, were taking classes um, and my, my grad program kept me, kept me pretty busy. So yeah, I, I would just run early and then, you know, study all day and then get my doubles in late. So Driving down to Sedona was tough sometimes, but um, for those bigger workouts, we, we definitely utilize that. So that's the other thing that's really cool about it. You can get down to you know pretty low altitude fairly quickly. Yeah, it's, I mean, it's the best place to train in my opinion. Yeah. So you, were you there right until like a couple weeks before the race or up to the race? When did you head back to California? Um, so I was there, I think like three, two and a half weeks out from the race. And then came back home for like a day or two and then my dad's a pretty big runner as well and i was like hey like you know this is a big race like i, I want to make sure I'm, I'm not leaving any any stone unturned so i was like let's go up to mammoth for a week just so i can you know bridge the gap between being at sea level and in the race um so drove up to mammoth lakes for one more week um got in a, a few workouts up there and a few runs um had a really good week and obviously 
you know, super familiar with all the trails up there just from being at UCLA. Um, so that was kind of cool to go back there. And then, then I came back down about 10 days as at sea level for about 10 days and then, and then race. So yeah, I think it was, it was perfect. How would your dad's PRs? Can I ask? I guess I'm asking you don't have to answer. Um, I actually, I think he's like a, I think he ran like a three forty. I want to say in the marathon and he's more like, he's starting to get into like ultras now. Um, but he's, he's done a few Ironmans and he just loves going out and running for two or three hours. He, he just kind of loves, uh, we, uh, Pasadena has a lot of good trails. Uh, we have like the San Gabriel mountains. So he always goes back, goes back there and, and runs. But, uh, but yeah, it's been fun to have him kind of support me through this whole thing. And he definitely understands the sport. So. Yeah, that's cool. I thought you were going to say it's like a 340, 1500 guy. I'm like, whoa. Like, you're, you're no. <laughs> yeah. Be faster than me. Looking forward, the Olympics. I mean, I'm sure you were just sort of dreaming of the Olympics before, but now, one, you're going to know better than me. They still have the ranking system in the 10K, right? But like, it's really hard to get ranking points. The best way to make sure you're on the team is to hit the standard, right? Is, is that, and then to do as highly at the trials as possible? Yeah, it's. A- thing is hit the standard and then, you know, top three at the trials for those who have the standard. So I guess, you know, if you hit the standard, it's really a race against like, you know, probably five or six guys at the, the trials. I mean, I can't imagine, you know, many more had the standard than that. Yeah. Cause it's, I mean, the standard's so hard. Crazy. Yeah. I mean, who knows what's going to happen. Cause I know in the 5k and other stuff, you can get ranking points, but I was trying to look at the 10k rankings. I think they still have rankings for 10k and it made no sense to me. Are you already thinking like Stanford, 2020 i assume 2021 i mean that's the place to get it or do you not worry about that yeah i mean that's that's the focus i still need to um sit down with my with my coach and kind of make a make a plan i'm just kind of taking these two weeks to kind of decompress and kind of get away from running for a little bit um but yeah i mean i think that's that's the place to get it and you know if i don't get it there then you know, hopefully get it at the trials. Um, I mean, that's the thing about the 10K. There's really not that many opportunities to to get it. Um, but hopefully I can get up to altitude for a little bit longer because um, our, our spring classes are online again. So that should help. Um, but yeah, Stanford's really the, the race I'm eyeing. Yeah, so I'm about to ask about the spring. Is, so Georgetown's announced everything's online? Yeah, so we're online and they called all the athletes back to campus. Um, so I'm looking at apartments out there. I kind of want to keep that like flexibility just so I can, you know, maybe get up to altitude again. Cause obviously it definitely helps me. Um, so yeah, I mean, before, you know, NCs or Stanford and, and definitely the trials try to get up to altitude. Wait, they want you, well, I guess you're on a team. They assume most teams need to be on campus. Is that, is that what they're thinking? Yeah. They, they want all the springs. They're calling all the spring sports back on campus. So I, I assume the NCAA has said something about having, uh, some sort of season in the spring. I don't know if they've said anything about indoor, um, but yeah, I mean, all students are undergrads and graduate students are all remote, but they're calling athletes back. So, yeah, because Georgetown already canceled indoor track, right? The Big East. Um, I don't think so, unless you know something. I don't know, but um, someone told me the Big East meet was already canceled. Yeah, no, I, I haven't heard anything, or at least they haven't sent any emails to us. But... We'll fact check that. I have no idea. Yeah. <laughs> I'm all, I'm all taking hold of meets safely. I mean, that's one thing. Indoor stuff is a little bit different, but one thing we've seen during COVID is most sporting events have been able to carry on in some fashion. So I'm hoping with track and especially outdoor track. I mean, I'm very confident there's going to be an Olympics. Yeah. So ideally athletes need as many 
competitions, you know, that they can have safely leading up to that. Mm-hmm. One more question. Like what's, are there, I should know this, but I don't like, are you wearing, what spikes are you wearing? I've heard all these things of super spikes coming in the 10 K like these dragonflies, like what I'm curious, what shoes you were wearing for this race? Yeah, I, um, so I, I wore the dragonflies. Um, it was quite the process to get them. I mean, they're like sold out on every website. Um, but you know, obviously I had heard everything about them and I was like, I'm, I'm going to need every advantage I can get in this field. Um, so I actually got him off a guy, another runner, um, old miss kid, Farah, who was also living up in flag at the time. And he, I think pre-ordered a ton of them, um, and was, you know, selling them for, uh, he, he was definitely taking a little cut out of the, out of the price. Um, but yeah, I got them from him and then racing them. And I don't know if they helped that much, but they were definitely super comfortable, um, and light and fast and felt good. But, you know, I don't know if they were like, you know, making it 20 seconds faster or anything, but, uh, but yeah, it definitely felt good out there. I got to put an asterisk by your run. I'm sorry. No, no. Right. <laughs> I guess since I don't know, that means most people on let's run probably don't even know like what's different about these spikes. Is it, is the, is the plate a little bit bigger? Is it just lighter? They can't be much lighter than previous spikes. I'm just curious. Like, no, they're, they're not, they're not much lighter. Um, they're pretty similar weight to previous spikes, but um, it's a lot more, there's a lot more foam. So there's more foam, but they're also kind of the same weight. Um, it's kind of some of the older spikes and the foam. I mean, it's also, it's a really stiff spike, but I think it's really in the foam. Uh, this new foam that Nike made, I think it's called zoom X is just super responsive. Um, and you, you know, 10 years ago, it's like, they're trying to be as minimal as possible with, with, with flats and spikes. And now they're, I mean, you look at the alpha fly in the next percent, it's like, now it's like, they're kind of going on the, the maximal side. They kind of almost look like hokas. Um, so I think it's actually just that combination of like the foam and the lightness of it. And you get that response without the weight. Um, so yeah, I mean, they, they just feel, they feel great. Um, and I ran a mile time trial two weeks out from the 10 K. So kind of did a test run in there, ran really well. And then, uh, and then, yeah, I mean, great spike. Yeah. A couple after the four guys ran 57 minutes and a half marathon in Valencia, um, we they did that in this new Adidas training flat, the audio, adios, Adi Zero, uh-huh. Adi Zero, Adios. The Adidas naming, I still haven't figured out. Nike's very simple, four percent vapor flight. Come on, and an industry insider's like, Oh, just just wait till the, you start seeing what's going to happen in track times because everyone's going to come out with new track spikes. Let's go to an era before super spikes. How'd you get started in the sport? Like, did you run as a, I don't know, elementary school, fun runs? Like, kind of, how'd you get going with running? I mean, like I mentioned before, my my dad's always been a, a runner and triathlete. Um, so it was always every Thanksgiving, he'd go do a, a turkey trot. And, uh, you know, I he dragged me out of bed. It's like the last thing I'd ever want to do. Um, but, you know, he'd throw me in these races and I'd always do pretty well. Um and, you know, I'd always kind of known I had like a knack for it. I was, I was pretty good, but I also hated it at the same time. Cause it, I, it would make me so nervous. Like I, I thought losing was like, you know, it was like the end of the world. Like if I lost a race, it, it, the world was collapsing around me. Um, so I just, it made me so nervous to step on the line and race and kind of in middle school when everyone kind of starts doing track and, 
you know, spring comes around. I'd always been like a soccer player, basketball. I played pretty much every sport under the sun, um, but always wanted to avoid track because it, it just made me so nervous. And then um, kind of in eighth grade, I, I had a had a uh, track coach um, who kind of really took me under his wing and kind of got me into the sport, um, saw my talent. And he's like, hey, how about you? You know, don't I think I played lacrosse at the time. He's like, how about you don't go play lacrosse and uh, hop in a few of our, our track mates? Um, and I think in eighth grade, I, I ran like a 452 mile. Um, and that was like, oh, I'm pretty good at this. Um, and then uh, eventually uh, matriculated to Loyola High School, as I mentioned. And there's a big history of running there. Um, David Torrance went to Loyola, Mark Matuzak, Elias Gedian. Um, so some pretty big names. Um all went to Loyola and, and ran under Coach Diaz, who's been a tremendous influence uh, for me and continues to be a, a huge influence for me, um, you know, even now. So, yeah, he really got me into the sport. And at that point, it was all running all the time in high school. Um, and then, yeah, never looked back uh, from then on. So did Coach Diaz coach David Torrance too? Yeah, he did. Uh, and he actually said David Torrance was – almost a lazy high school and high school runner. And then, uh, and then he's like, yeah, I, didn't, I wouldn't expect David to have the amount of success he had. Um, and then obviously you know, went on to have just a tremendous career, um, and leave, you know, such an outstanding legacy. Uh, so yeah, just to have names like David Torrance, um, and Mark Matuzak and just guys like that, just to look up to, um, you know, was, was, was great. And it's like, Oh, maybe I can, I can be like them one day. So. Yeah, I mean, it's a real testament to the program that so many great runners have come through there. Mm-hmm. Yes, yeah, so you run very good high school times. I mean, California is so ridiculously fast. You weren't, you were what, state runner up in cross country? Yeah, I think I was runner up in cross country track every every race. So I was always runner up. <laughs> oh, wow. You didn't even, let's say you ran eight, 852 and 408, which are both very good. Yeah, I ran at the state meet. I was um, Caleb Webb, I think, won it in 847. Uh, yeah, it was a PR for me at the time, but, um, but yeah, I mean, he's had a great career at Portland and yeah, I mean, California is insane. <laughs> if you run 852, you can't be one state. I don't know. I have a theory cause I wasn't very good in college that you either want to be the very best, you know, like, uh, Alan Webb, Dathan Ritz and I'm, I'm dating myself. I'm trying to think who the guys you would say are, are, are the best, but, or like, then I think it's okay to get beat because you need to get used to realizing like there's a process you know, I feel like some guys who have instantaneous success in college, it's hard. Each level, there's a, such a huge gap. And if you're not used to sort of enjoying the process, I think some people really struggle. Each level, they go up. Yeah. I mean, you look at all the NCAA All-Americans and cross, it's like half of them are like, you know, 9, 15 guys in high school. Um, so, yeah, it's good to kind of always be have guys to chase, you know. So. Yeah. And also, I think if you have a lot of success, like, some guys, let's say, I mean, kind of where you were, but let's say you're third or fourth at NCAs, and there's not a lot of offers from anybody, and you're like, well, I'm pretty good. I'm not as good. And then you're constantly getting beat by the first guy, and you're like, I'm not NCAA champion caliber. They sort of just, I'm done running. Whereas I think people can develop at different rates in different times in their lives. Like you, just an extra year here, like, oh, wait, well, boom, 27, 39. And your whole perspective changes when you're in college, you don't realize it, but four or five years isn't, isn't that much time. You know, you're hurt last year, you have a stress fracture. Well, boom, there goes t- 
20% of your college, essentially, you know, if you miss the whole year. But I think even, even now, like some of the top American marathoners and runners and, um, you know, sure, you have the Galen Rupps of the world, but you have other guys who, like, you know, weren't the, the high school champ who are making Olympic teams, that sort of stuff. Yeah, no, it, and I mean, you hit the nail on the head. It's like, and you always, you look at those guys who are kind of the studs and you're like, I want to be at that level someday. Um, so, you know, it makes you work that much harder too. And then, it's funny because I didn't realize David Torrance, but you just mentioned him kind of made me sad. I mean, yeah, like I had such a great smile and everything. and He did. He's just a great part of the running community. So David went to Cal too. So you go to Cal like David mm-hmm. and you run pretty fast, 1350 or 45? 45, yep. And then 28, 48, 10K there. I mean, true sophomore, those are very good times. But you decide to transfer to UCLA. Like what was going on there? Talk about that decision a little bit. Um, yeah, I mean, no ill will towards Cal. Uh, I had a great time there. Um, I was coached by Tony Sandoval and Shayla Houlihan, you know, and looking back uh, now that I have, you know, better perspective, a little more mature, you know, it, it, it was great. And um, they were, they were good coaches, but at the time uh, I think I just wanted success like so quickly and, you know, ran some great PRs, as you mentioned, but then it was regionals my sophomore year and towards the end of that season, I was just a wreck. Like I, I would get in workouts and I could hardly break, you know, five minutes in the mile. It was just like every run, every workout just felt horrible. Um, and then going into the regional 10 K, you know, confidence was kind of at an all time low and just didn't really know what was going on with, with my body and ended up dropping out of that race. And it was just absolutely just such a low moment for me. Um, and at that point it's like, I just didn't know how to handle, uh, failure. And I didn't know how to, you know, it was just like, I put so much work in that season and it was kind of the first time I had success in college and just to, you know, DNF, uh, in a race was just like, I couldn't believe it. I never thought I'd be that guy on the results with a DNF next to his name, but I think there was something going on. Cause like I said, just, I couldn't even finish like a, a 10 mile run at seven minute pace. Um, I never got blood results, but I imagine I was probably anemic or something. Um, but yeah, I mean, pretty rash decision, honestly, looking back, uh, to transfer to UCLA. Um, but I had a ton of friends from, uh, high school who ran at UCLA. Um, I heard all great things about, uh, coach Braden at the time. He was the coach I got, or got recruited by there. Um, and yeah, I mean, it was, it's kind of crazy looking back at how quickly I made such a pretty life altering decision. Um, and for a few months there at UCLA, kind of that first cross country season, it was really hard. Um, I missed a lot of my friends at Cal, you know, it was everything I was familiar with and, you know, ran well there. And I was like, dang, is this the right decision for me? Um, so looking back, it's like, wow, that that was a pretty crazy time. Um, and you know, that transition was not easy. I, I, I don't think I fully realized how tough transferring schools is. Um, but you know, after a few months, I, I settled in at UCLA and I just kind of took a look in the mirror. I'm like, I can't be, you know, regretting anything. Like, look, I made the decision. I got to move forward. Um, so, you know, at that time, UCLA had a new coach as well, Devin Elizondo, who came from UC Davis and, um, you know, had a, had a big conversation with him and kind of told him where I was at mentally. Um, 
and that was kind of right in the middle of cross season. And I was still running fine, but I just wasn't fully in it mentally because I was totally, you know, looking back on Cal and, and questioning my whole decision. But yeah, I, I had the conversation. I'm like, I can't look back now. I can't change anything. This is where I'm at. And this is a great team environment. I have a great coach. I just got to look forward now. And ever since that point, had great career there. Uh, a lot of success. You know, I, I finally got those, you know, bids to nationals and got those All-American you know, marks that I, that I wanted and, you know, basically transferred for. Um, so it all worked out in the end, um, but definitely a crazy decision looking back on it. But at the same time, I don't regret it because uh, UCLA was a great environment. Awesome 10 K crew there at Colin Burke and Garrett Reynolds, who were both low 29 um, guys and both qualified individually for uh, cross nationals. So yeah, had a great group there. Devin was an amazing coach and, and yeah, I wanted to finish out my career there. Um, didn't think I'd be going to three schools over my uh, collegiate career, but here I am at Georgetown. So it's it's kind of crazy, but um, fun at the same time. I kind of get all these experiences. <laughs> yeah, so the transferring, does it all come about real quickly? It sounds like it's not spur of the moment, but from May you have a bad race and pretty much soon after that, you're like, I think I want to transfer. Um, it was, yeah, I mean, it was very spur of the moment. It was pretty much in my hotel room in Austin at, in Austin, Texas at regionals. Like I was sitting with my parents and, you know, pretty low at that point. Cause it, I didn't it's just like, I put all my eggs in the running basket. It's all I cared about. Um, and then just the DNF was, was so devastating. I'm like, I got to go somewhere else. Like it doesn't work me out. Um, and yeah, I mean, like I said, it's crazy to think that I, I made that decision. So spur of the moment, um, but yeah, I mean, it, the process was, it was, it was really tough. There was a lot of paperwork, um, but luckily I had a really good relationship with, with Tony Sandoval at, at Cal. Um, he's the director at the time. And, you know, after a few conversations with him, um, he granted me a full release, uh, which, you know, I thank him to this day for, and I still talk to him on the phone pretty much before every big race. So I'm glad I didn't burn any bridges there. Um, that was kind of the really important thing for me um, to keep those relationships. Um, and, and yeah, like I said, never looked back and um, definitely was a tough process, but made it all work and didn't lose any uh, eligibility as a result. Testament to Tony that, you know, he let you. Yeah. Pull, no, he, pull release. I mean, it, but I think it's what the coach should do. These kids, sure. They're, I mean, their job is to get you to run fast, but they're recruiting you to go to school there you know, when they're pitching you to go to school like Cal, they're like, look, I'm interested in you as a student, as a person. And when you're saying, hey, for whatever reason, this isn't working out for me, mm -hmm. they should, I, I think, let you go. Tony definitely cares about his athletes and, you know, them as people. And he was like, oh, this is, you know, this is going to make him happier. And I'm not, I'm not going to prevent that. So, yeah, I, 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 I am in debt to him to this day. So, yeah, you'd, you'd run fast times. Well, what happened? 2019 cross country that had been your senior year of cross country. Did you get hurt? You didn't run NCAs. I don't think that was our big year um, at UCLA. It was, you know, the whole team was pretty much graduating seniors and fifth years. And like I said, we had Colin Burke and uh, Garrett Reynolds. So we had a, a great top three. I think like every race we were like finishing top 10 or top 15 um, us three. So it was a great one, two, three punch. And then, you know, filled in well with those four and five. And I think preseason, 
like early in the season, we got up to like a number eight ranking nationally. Um, so had just a tremendous team. Uh, we all trained really well together. And then Pack 12s uh, I think I finished fifth. I think Klecker, yes, Klecker took the win. I think he beat him by like 10 seconds. Um, and then after that race, I was like so pissed off. I'm like, dang, like I got beat by 10 seconds. Like I want to be a top five guy at nationals or top three. It's like if I'm getting beat by 10 seconds by – Clacker, like I got to step it up and then it's not the right time to do it. But, um, you know, right after pack 12, so I just went like full throttle, like hit like a really hard long run and then hit like a really tough workout, like two days later. Um, and I'm like, dang, I should have taken a day off. That's what I needed. Not more mileage and <laughs> more intensity. Um, and then a week later started to feel a little pain in my back and turns out I had a sacral stress fracture. Um, so had to sit out. And then our team didn't make it to nationals, you know, coming from, you know, top 10 ranking earlier in the season. But luckily we had our, you know, Colin and Garrett qualify as individuals. But yeah, that was a really tough season and tough way to end, like, you know, the year we were all kind of waiting for. I feel like you do what a lot of, to be good at running, you have to put in the work. And I feel like mm -hmm. a lot of people, when they first start running, they're not willing to put in the work. But there's a lot of frustrated runners out there. And it's one of the reasons we I've wanted to start Let's Run.com because I was one of those people. I wasn't at like your level, but I'm like, oh, I can be better at this. In my senior year, right before the – I mean, I, I never made nationals or anything, but like right before the HEPs cross-country meet, I got hurt. So I hopped on a bike, a stationary bike, and like rode it so hard. I'm like, I got to stay in shape. And I could not walk for three days afterwards. It was the only meet of my life where I wasn't the top five for college. It was my senior year cross-country because I couldn't walk. I mean, it's just so stupid. <laughs> those, those, those are also the best runners, though, the ones that have kind of that tenacity at the same time. <laughs> well, I think a lot of people – so I think there's – got to be able to put in the work. you got to have the tenacity, and you've had that. And then I think the other thing is confidence in races, and that can be a chicken and the egg. You need the workouts to go, and then you're confident. But like like you said, you get fifth at pack pack tens from what you've done to that point that's not the worst you could have been happy with that and you're like no i need more and mm -hmm. then ncas i guess in 2000 all my years are getting confused 19 yep. you know you take the lead with 800 to go you, a lot of guys who have never scored or you've scored you've been eighth place before but a lot of guys sneaking in the points they're not thinking i'm gonna try to win this race they're hoping to win the race or oh if all goes well i'll get third you know mm -hmm. is that something you've always had or just your training was going great or like a flip switch that year or talk a little bit about that mentality. Well, yeah, I think going into that race um, in particular, it's like I had watched a lot of the prior years and they, I watched Mark Scott win. I, I forget what year, maybe 2017. Um, but I, you know, I look back on a lot of those uh, NC 10 K races and I'm like, a lot of these guys, the way they won it was just taking it from, you know, 600 sometimes 800 out they just gap the field and, and never look back um and for a guy like me who you know my speed is pretty limited um, but i'm a really strong runner i feel like i can i can hold a hard pace and, and run alone pretty confidently uh so i talked with my coach uh devin elizondo at the time and i'm like hey if i have a shot at winning this like i think i'm stronger than the guys maybe i don't have as much speed but um you know i gotta i gotta kind of grind it out from a little further um, and made the move and felt, felt strong, uh, when I was out front and then, uh, yeah, had a, had a tough last lap. Um, and I always kind of think about that race. Like maybe if I would have stayed in the pack, I could have finished a few places higher. 
Um, but you know, those, I think Clayton young, um, and the Alabama guy was second, uh, Keegan, they, you know, kicked him like a 56. So at the same time, it's like, uh, I don't know if I had that speed, but you know, maybe I could have been fourth or fifth, but, um, don't really have any regrets because, you know, I, I went for broke and, you know, missed the mark, but, um, you know, gave it all I got. And I, I've always raced like that. I've always kind of been an aggressive racer. And I think that kind of goes back to my high school years, uh, with coach Diaz at Loyola. He's very intense, um, and always gets the most out of us. And, you know, whenever we're kind of sandbagging a workout or sandbagging a race, you not afraid to get in your face. Um, so it's like, you know, you put in all this training, you put in all this work, like you might as well just, just grind it out and, and see what you have. Like, I, I don't really like racing tactically. It's like, what's the point of doing all that training if you're not going to put it all on the line. Um, so yeah, I've always raced like that and I, I like racing like that. And, um, I don't know. I feel more confident running up front than I do in a pack. <laughs> you can avoid, uh, taking a spill or something like that. So, um, yeah, I think that's just kind of my style, but I've definitely had to rein it in, especially, uh, you know, as I've, you know, gotten deeper into my collegiate career. Yeah. Well, thank you. That style, you know, like the pre-Fontaine kind of style people like, I think it was the thread on Let's Run. Is Robert Brandt the greatest eighth place runner of all time? You already had fans. So I don't know if these were loyal to people or you're like, your dad is on there posting about you. <laughs> I hope not. Somebody said, Robert, Rob trains like an animal, relentless. So I th- I think it's kind of interesting that you had this kind of, I don't know who the, honestly, I'm always fascinated by some of these guys and they'll kind of pick one guy out and, talk about them and uh, there weren't a ton of threads about you, but someone did that thread. I'm, I'm always curious kind of how they come about. And even now, I guess we could, we could turn to Tinman because there's a lot of discussion about Tinman and people are, are well, I, I want to talk about your thing first. Cause people are, I feel like are people love Tinman and the people love to like criticize Tinman. And it's like, I think the one thing that just means they're popular, but let's turn to the, post that really turned heads on let's run this i guess it was june right yeah that was a while back so i don't i read part of it in the intro i'm not sure i read it all we'll just read it all for amusement and it's called oh, 10 minutes steady what does mlr mean medium length run uh medium long run medium long run isn't that isn't that like a medium long run what the hell does that mean anyway <laughs> I don't know what it is, but I want to crush the Tinman guys like a ball of Tinman foil. Maybe it's their overt confidence and then proceeding to finish in the bottom third of every elite field they enter. See you guys in the spring, exclamation mark. So what were you thinking when you posted that? Uh, well, at the time, I, I don't think I was thinking much. Uh, but uh, at that time, Strava was like very new to me. A few of my friends had got me into it. Um, and it was really just like, I had a pretty small following. It was like my UCLA friends, a few friends from high school, and that was pretty much it. Um, and, you know, I was a relatively, relatively unknown name in the NCAA. Like I, I wasn't winning races. I wasn't talked about much. So it's like, I don't think this is going to stir up that much, uh, you know, or at least as much as it did. Um, so, yeah, I mean, Tin Man obviously has huge social media following, a lot of YouTube, a lot of Instagram. And I'm a little more old school. I kind of just like running hard and, um, 
you know, definitely I've gotten more out there on Strava and I'm trying to, you know, build that because it's, it's the way of the world now. Um, but it's like, man, these guys are posting a lot, but not really racing that much. Um, and when they do, it's nothing like outstanding. Like why is, why is there so much hype around this team? Um, and we'd always kind of talked about that amongst the UCLA guys. And we're like, what's up with him, man? Like, why? I mean, obviously they have some talented runners and, um, you know, a good team, but they just get a lot of publicity. And I was kind of like, why do they get so much when they're, you know, they're not like a Bowerman or a Morgan project, you know, they're not running crazy times or anything. Um, so yeah, I mean, I posted that thinking like I'd get a laugh out of my UCLA friends. And I thought the pun was a little bit funny, the aluminum or the Tin Man foil. Uh, <laughs> and, you know, I think like 20 minutes after posting Drew Hunter hops on it and it just starts this long chain of comments. And, you know, my dad heard about it and he's like, you got to delete it. But at that point, it's like, I can't delete it. That just looks bad. Like I, it's out there. Like people are going to call me out more if I delete this, this uh, post. Um, so yeah, it just kind of snowballed into this big thing. It, it was meant to be kind of a joke, but I think the one thing I regret is calling out well, the one thing, the one comment that maybe brought it over the line was calling out their uh, specific performances. Um, if I could have done it again, I wouldn't have done that or really wouldn't have done it at all. Um, but at the end of the day, it's, it's it was supposed to be some lighthearted banter um, and obviously got a lot of people's attention. And I think it's good. It's some good rivalry, some good friendly rivalry. But as I said, maybe I brought it a little too far. And, you know, that whole build up into that 10K, that's kind of crazy. It's like that was big piece of motivation for me. Um, it's like, you know, I saw the heat sheets and I got three 10, 10 man guys in my 10 K and I'm like, okay, like that's out there. There's obviously the big threat on let's run. A lot of people are, are talking about it. Like I can't go out there and run a 2830. Like that's just not going to cut it. Like I got to really step up my game. Um, so yeah, I mean, I had never been so dedicated just to the entirety of the, my kind of training and lifestyle and, all I was thinking about was like, I, I have to back up these words. Um, I don't want to be the guy that says something and, and it, you know, the words are empty. I wanted, I wanted to, uh, you know, I kind of wanted to prove a point. Um, so yeah, like I said, I just put my head down and, and worked really hard. Um, and was at altitude and I was like, okay, whatever I do, I cannot lose to these Tim Young guys. Um, and you know, had a great performance and beat the Tim Young guys, but after that, I wasn't going to say anything further. I was just going to let the time do the talking and, and that's that. Um, but, you know, respect to them for going out and racing and towing to the line. Um, so would I, would I do that again? Probably not. Um, but like I said, it, it's, you know, I, I think it, a little bit of rivalry is good for the sport and definitely got people kind of following, uh, you know, kind of following that. Um, so I think it overall, it was, it was good and got some people involved in the sport. Yeah. I think as a journalist, Oh, I loved it. <laughs> right. It's like who the hell is Robert Brandt? You know, no offense. That's the Tim and guys. Yeah, you. no, exactly. I mean, that's, that's why I didn't think it would, it would blow up so big because no one really knew who I was. <laughs> yeah. Cause further I get away from like collegiate running, the more I cover like one of the like coolest moments of my life was, was when I went to the like 1996 Olympic 10,000 meters in Atlanta and like, touched highly Gabriel Slassie's hand as he entered the track. And now I go to the Olympics as a journalist. You don't get jaded, but like 
it's like becomes more super elite, super elite, you know? And even your comment, like, oh, you shouldn't call them out. Like it's the type of stuff people say on runs. Yeah. Oh, this group, this, oh, the Tim and guys, what have they done? You know, like, oh, sure. They've done great things for the sport. Drew Hunter's like a great talent, but like, you know, if you're going to knock the group, like, oh, they, they're punching out of their weight with publicity or something like that. I don't know. Bowerman, you can, oh, they never race. NOP, a bunch of dopers, you know, like, doesn't mean you literally mean everything true. Full disclaimer, everyone in the NOP is not a doper. That lawyers from Nike, please don't come after me. You know, like, it's kind of like the stuff people might say to their friends, kind of like what you're saying. The difference is, I guess, Strava is an open, open platform and everybody saw what you said. But I, I see. I should have made my, uh, my profile private. I didn't know how to do that at the time. But <laughs> Well, I'm glad you didn't delete it because it's just a cool story now that you've run 2739, beat all the Tinman guys. And also, you know, I made them listen to an hour podcast to get to this point. So <laughs> they've been waiting for this. But like you said, they've done great, some good things for the sport. I, I don't sense any animosity between you. You can want to beat – this is a sport, right? Like it's a game. We're running as fast as we can in a circle. You've dedicated a huge percent of your life to doing it. I did so as well. Like why? Like I don't know. None of this makes any sense, but we love it. We've learned – we all hope learn a lot from it and hopefully become better people. But a little banter as a sport, I think it's great. Every other sport has it. Right. And that's kind of the way I looked at it. It's like every other sport has some banter, has some rivalry. And I think it gets people, you know, to follow the sport. So, um, you know, I, I don't think people should be so sensitive to uh, a little bit of smack, smack talk. That's why we love running though, because it's competitive, you know? And, and I guess I'm going to show right now, I really don't, I'm getting too elitist. I apologize. <laughs> uh, there was a guy from this team on your, in your, and you already mentioned Ole Miss. So I think you must know this. Do you know Westfly Athletics? Yes, I, uh, I'm aware of them. <laughs> they are very outspoken, much more than, than my uh, little Strava comment. I swear I had no idea what they were until today. I've probably seen threads on them. I just like, who are these guys? Like, what? I'm not seeing their <laughs> names and results. And they actually had a good result. But like, because I, I know people will troll Let's Run to get attention. They'll do stuff. And I'm like, Westfly Athletics? Uh, until even Tinman, right? Like, until Drew Hunter made Worlds last year, they haven't had, a, you know, they've had some guys like get on like a German team for this or that, you know, that, but they've started out totally unsponsored outside of Drew and they've built it up with guys who weren't very good, kind of like, you know, I was out of college, just wanted to keep running and loving. So the fact they've created this, this thing is cool. But, mm-hmm. and now these Westfly guys were, I guess we're talking shit about Tinman too. But no one's ever heard of Westfly either. So, like, you, you got to start ba- – if you don't back it up on the track, eventually no one's going to care what Robert Brandt said three years ago. You know, you'd be working commercial real estate and they'd be like, oh, remember that Robert Brandt guy? Right. <laughs> yeah. No, that, that's my thing. It's like if you're going to say something or if you're going to have a big social media platform or, you know, just put yourself out there, you got to back it up with performances on the track. So that was definitely important to me uh, going into this race. I was like, I have to back this up. I I can't just, you know, do a publicity stunt like that or, you know, have it be perceived as that and uh, and not back it up. So did anyone from the team say anything? I mean, is there like a lighthearted relationship between you guys? Or they're kind of like, oh, they don't, Robert, I don't want to talk to him. Between uh, me and Tin Man? Yeah. Yeah. Well, actually, I will give this to them. Um, 
after the after the 10k they they were very supportive uh of my race and i don't know if that was because maybe they they didn't want me to say anything further after uh running a pr like that um but they they were very supportive throughout the race uh cheering on me and everyone else um and then after had a good conversation with drew and uh, we're all friends now. And I, you know, I, I'm, I know a lot of those guys from running against them in the NCA. I mean, Jeff Bees and Sydney Gidabaday were both CIF Southern section guys in Los Angeles with me. Um, so yeah, there's no animosity toward them. I think we, uh, you know, we're all, we're all friends now. And I, you know, I'm, I'm never gonna, never gonna trash talk someone after they, they race, even if they have a bad race, it's like, okay, you put your card in the line, you race, you didn't back out. Like I'm, I'm not going to, you know, beat a dead horse there. Yeah. I think immediately after a race for sure. Not like one of the greatest things about running is the universality of it and how we're all sort of, unless you're winning the race in some ways, everyone's sort of time trialing. I mean, you're running as fast as you can in, in some ways. I mean, maybe not if you get six and you fell off the last mile or something, but the mid packer, everyone can relate to, you know, getting exactly. your all in a race. And I think that's one of the great things about running. We now have a supporting club membership part of Let's Run. So supporters, stay tuned. Robert's going to say what he really says about Tim and for paying subscribers only. <laughs> that actually would be a huge moneymaker for Let's Run. That's what we should do. Uh, there we go. I know, if, I, if I don't work a job in commercial real estate, that's uh, I'll be my source of revenue. <laughs> I guess back, so that leads us back to this race. Heading in, did you know, like, I'm ready for a great one? Um, well, I knew I was fit because um, I, as I, alluded to before I ran the mile time trial, uh, I think, you know, two or three weeks out from the race and ran at 358. So, uh, I, I mean, I know that's not like directly correlated to a 10 K performance, but for a guy who is generally known for not having a kick or really not having any speed, I was like, okay, like if I can run 358, definitely in good shape right now. Um, and then, you know, coming off mouth to basically living like a pro lifestyle, um, fully committing myself to the sport, you know, other than school, everything outside of school was, you know, fully dedicated to running. Um, so I knew I was, I was primed for a, for a good performance. Did I expect it to be, you know, a 43 second PR? Probably not. Um, but, but yeah, I mean, at the same time, it's like that I, I should have been uh, expecting that because of the preparation and the mileage I'd put in. I mean, it's by far the, the best block of training I'd put in. Um, you know, in years, uh, at UCLA, I was always kind of dealing with like a nagging injury or coming off an injury. Um, and I just was never able, and it's also just hard running around Los Angeles. And I, I love UCLA. It was a great running environment. I encourage, uh, you know, other runners to go there. It's a great program, but you know, it's not like Flagstaff. It's world-class as far as the environment and the trails uh, and being at altitude. So, um, yeah, it was unexpected, but, uh, you know, at the same time, it's like, ah, looking back, you know, I did everything I could to prepare and I should expect a time like that. Yeah. Well, it sounds easy now, but you had to do it. So congrats. Yeah. <laughs> Thank you. And I, I want to start every interview we do asking, giving some, let people give sort of universal advice to other runners. I probably should have like a pot full of questions and pull one out every time, but I guess you're, you're pretty much almost done. Well, I mean, you got hopefully big things left your senior season here but you're almost done with your collegiate career you've done through high school i guess what's the one you could have one piece of advice to give a high school collegiate runner what would you say it is right now okay this this is probably gonna sound really cliche but um it's just being 
discipline and like that daily routine, like the really small things that seem insignificant, um, you know, really stack up. Uh, for example, like especially this buildup and kind of my later years in college, it's like I always woke up and ran at the same time, did the same thing every day and then did my double at the same time um, and tried to stick like on a really, I mean, maybe not exactly the same time, but generally like early morning run, late afternoon double. And I think that routine just like held me accountable. Um, and it's like, you, you don't have time management problems if, if you do the same thing every day and, and stay in that routine. So um, I always give myself like a five second rule when I went out for the door for a run. It's like, it's like countdown from five. It's like, if I don't feel like running, it doesn't matter. Once I get down to one, I'm out the door running and that's that. Um, so I think when you negotiate with yourself, that's when you really have problems. And that's when I ran the worst is when I always was kind of not in a routine and always negotiating kind of with my mind uh, before a hard rep or, uh, or getting out the door for a run. So um, it's just that discipline. That's really all it is. Sounds like great advice. So would you skip runs before that you had this five, four, three, two, one, or you just might cut them short or, or was it just more of a mindset? You know what you're doing every single day. Before that, I, I wouldn't say I, I'd skip runs, um, but I, I was just a little more loose. Like I would, you know, run at 12 in the middle of the day and then I'm, you know, cramming to study later in the day. And it's just like, it's not conducive to, to training and a routine. And I think, uh, you know, when your body's expecting to go for a run in the morning and then sit down and study for the middle of the day and then, you know, run in the afternoon, it's like you just get in that routine and then um, it just makes your training more efficient um, because you feel good if you run at the same time every day because you you know what to expect. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I'd always been very motivated and disciplined, but especially like over like a winter break or summer, I, I just let it, I let, you know, I, I let that routine slip sometimes. And that's when I found I'd get like injured or, you know, maybe not get in my mileage because I was crammed for time. And it's like, if you can just stop like making excuses and negotiating with yourself before you have to kind of make those decisions to get out the door or get your double in, it's like, you know, that's, that's when I really think I hit a new level. So you're saying like my 1130 in the morning, morning runs weren't a good idea. <laughs> well, it's uh, it's funny because like you know all the professionals just like oh you can run like at whatever time you want but I don't know it's just me I I love routine and uh, you know I think it's helped I mean not only become a better runner just my whole life is just more efficient that way so but I, I've definitely had those runs where it's like you're squeaking in your ten mile run at you know seven p.m. when the last inkling of light but uh, yeah I mean routine's been huge for me especially leading into this race yeah structure makes things easier. Running isn't easy. It's a grind, right? Exactly. I like Gabriel Swassi just said, you know, I run twice a day every day. If you don't think about it, you do it. Obviously, you want to have a coach and do what the coach tells you to do. I'm not saying everyone needs to go run twice a day every day. But for me, at least, the less I had to think was the better. Right. So, oh, yeah, I'm going to run. Oh, I don't feel like running right now. Nope. Five, four, three, two, one. Boom. I think that's a good lesson for a lot of people. Well, thank you. This was fun. If you want to guarantee like an NCAA championship or something right now, I think the viewers would like it, but. <laughs> well, that's def definitely a goal. So um, got that, got that circled in my, uh, in my log to win an NCAA title. So. And yeah, actually like can runners do like endorsement stuff now? How does that even work? What do you mean? Like. Are the rules sort of changing? So could, could let's run hire people. Like when you want to talk shit about Tinman. We'll hire you to come on Let's Run and do it on Let's Run. 
I think, well, I think in California now athletes or NCAA athletes can get money. I don't know about out on the East Coast, but, uh, but yeah, <laughs> I, I'm not a mean guy. I hope I don't get known for the, you know, the shit talk, and, <laughs> but, uh, but yeah, it's all in good fun. The, the NOP is vilified by many and loved by others. So I think. Oh, yeah. Yeah, no, I've read the Let's Run Threads about that. They're always entertaining. <laughs> All right. Well, everybody keep reading. Let's run threads. And Robert, thanks for joining us. This was fun. Appreciate it. Yeah. Thank you for having me on. And remember, if you want to take your training to the next level, go to pure.com. That's P-W-U-R-E.com and use code next level to save 20% off your first month of your data-driven shake.